Good morning, church family. Um, Last week, as Pastor Victor talked about, you know, we talked about the return of Christ. And me personally, I need to see that side of Christ. I need to see the Lion of Judah side of Christ. You know, the Bible says that Christ will reign forever. How is he going to do it? Does he have what it takes to back up these claims? Absolutely. I need to see that side. And today we're going to talk about Christ, the head of the church. And this is one of my favorite topics because we get to talk about Christ and the church. Two of the things I love most talking about. And uh, so today we're looking at Christ, the head of the church. And there's some biblical pictures that God gives us through through the Bible, what the church and the relationship with Christ and the church. Marriage is one of them, all right? Marriage is one of them where Christ is, is, the, is the husband and, the, and, the, and the, the church is the bride. Right, that's one. The vine and the branches, Jesus talks about the word. Jesus is the source. He's the vine, and we're the branches connected to the source. The Bible says we could do nothing apart from the vine, all right? So that's another picture. There's the picture of the shepherd and the sheep where Jesus is the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, and we are the flock of God. Right? That's a picture that we have and we're familiar with. But today we're going to focus in on the body of Christ, where Jesus is the head and we're his body. And, and to me, this resonates to me the most. I don't know, maybe because I spent all my life in athletics. I understand how the mind and the body works, right? So this makes a lot of sense today. So today we're looking at Christ, the head of the church, the head. And the picture that I have for us today is kind of a comical one, perhaps. My dad um, grew up in the countryside and <clears throat> of Japan, and whenever they had festivals or sort of things, they had to prepare meat. They had to prepare meat, and chicken was one of the meat that they had. So he describes how his big brother would uh, get the chicken and cut the head off, and then there it was. And the picture that I have of, of a church or a body not connected to the head is like a chicken running around with his head cut off, right? A lot of activity. And I get it. You know, most of us go to Vons and Ralph's to get our meats, right? But in the country, you see this type of stuff. And the chicken will run around aimlessly, and then it's over. We don't want to be that type of body. We don't want to be the type of body that's busy with a lot of different activities, a lot of gatherings, a lot of services, a lot of studies and all these things. But apart from the head, we could become like that. And so today we're, just going, to, we're going to be preaching out of Ephesians chapter 1. But before we do that, let me pray, ask God to bless this time. Father, we thank you for the preaching of your word. Thank you that you chose something simple as preaching to display your glory in the, in the most clearest way. And I thank you for Pastor Victor as he talked about how we could worship you by hearing your word preached. Lord Jesus, as we saw you roar last week in Revelation 19 as the Lion of Judah, help us to see you as the head today, the preeminent one, the one who owns the church, the one who builds his church, the one who rules his church. So God, I just pray by the Spirit of your God, you open our eyes of our hearts so that we could see your Son, Jesus Christ, more clearly so we will love him more. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Just as a side note that may help you uh, follow along with the preaching, I preach at the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. So if you have your app, turn to the NASB. If you have a paper, a copy of it, open up your NASB Bibles. That's what I preach out of. Um, just a little bit of context. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1 today, verse 18. But a little bit of context of the church in Ephesus. This is a legendary church. This is a historic church. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was in, was in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, on the coast, an affluent area with a lot of distractions. They had incredible buildings, incredible artifacts. I mean, the, the Temple of Artemis is considered one of the wonders of the world, ancient wonders of the world. They had a lot of culture. They loved uh, education. They had a lot of philosophy. They had a lot of money. So there's a lot of things that could distract the church in Ephesus. In many ways, it reminds me of L.A. Los Angeles is on the coast. Los Angeles is a major uh, trade port. Los Angeles has Hollywood Hill sign, right? We got, we got things where people flock to come see. Los Angeles has money, technology, education, all kinds of universities in just a few miles. Los Angeles is a modern-day Ephesus, and we have a lot to be distracted from, from the Lord. We're very similar in that way. Timothy, Pastor Timothy, is the pastor of Ephesus. He's a senior pastor at Ephesus. And Paul is his, his mentor. He's been mentoring in Timothy. And this is the church that Paul writes to. And this, this book is written to the saints, the Bible says right here. Paul writes, addresses to the saints. Who are the saints? This isn't a, some varsity-level Christian. This, saints are every single Christian, a holy one. In Christ, you're a saint. If you're in Christ right now, God sees you as holy and perfect. You're a saint. This is addressed to Christians. And in the six chapters of uh, Ephesians, all right, half of it, I'd say up to chapter 4, Paul talks about our identities as Christians. And then verse four, uh, chapter 4, it goes, Therefore, a church is supposed to act this way. So before I even could begin talking to you about how the church is supposed to be, we need to speak about the vine, our bloodline, our head, because he is our identity. Paul spends a, three whole chapters talking about our place in Christ. And in Evergreen, we need to see our identities are rooted and grounded and bound in Christ, the head. Once we get that nailed, naturally by the power of his Holy Spirit, we will act like his church. And it's going to happen. But it starts with our identities in Christ. Okay, and this is a prayer that Paul writes. And if you want to know what a pastor prays like, here it is. So we're going to read out of Ephesians chapter 1. So please rise as we honor God's word, as we hear uh, God's word read from 18 to 23. This is a prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ, in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Verse 23, which is his body. The church is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to read your word. Thank you for this letter that you had Paul write to the church at Ephesus. So many ways it looks like evergreen SGV 2,000 years ago. So many things from the city, the location, to all the blessings that you've given us. Allow us not to be distracted so that we'll be clear about who we are in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Verse 22 talks about Christ is the head of the church. What does head mean in the in original language? In the, in the Greek, it's kephale. Kephale could mean anatomical head. All right? The, the head that contains the brain. It could mean that in the Greek. But in the context of, of the Bible here, it's talking about authority, supreme authority. All right? We use this term today in our modern-day English. Head of state, head of government, head of staff. All right, headmaster, head coach. We understand this. Head means supreme authority. So Jesus is saying that he is the head over all things to the church. And today's sermon may read like a paper that you write in college or in, or in high school where there's a main thesis. The main thesis is this. Christ is the head of the church. And we're going to give you three points that support this claim from the scriptures here out of 18 to 23. So Christ is the head of the church. First point, Christ builds his church. Let's look at verse 18 and 19. All right, Paul prays, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why is that so important? Remember, he's talking to Christians. He's not talking to non-believers here. He's talking to the saints. So even as a Christian, we could have more of our eyes opened up to who we are in Christ. It's a process. It's called sanctification. The more we know who we are, the more powerful we're going to be as Christians. So right here he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, not the eyes of your brain, this is more than head knowledge. This is more than data dumping. This is more than just collecting information. This is the eyes of your heart, who you are, your inner person, what makes you tick. You will see who you are in Christ. This is critically important. Bible says in uh, Proverbs 23, uh, 7, so man thinketh in his heart, so he is. What you think about yourself in your inner being, your heart, you're that person. Whatever lies that you believe, that dictates to you who you are. Whatever truths you believe, that dictates to who you are as well. So the three things that Paul says that the church in Ephesus is to understand and know in our heart, even at Evergreen 2,000 years later, is this. That you may know the hope of his calling, number one. Number two, that you may know the riches of his inheritance, Number three, that you may know the surpassing greatness of his power. And I'm going I'm to go through one of those briefly, but I, I want us to understand. You did, Pastor Rocky, you just say Christ builds his church. 
How does he build, how does he show to us that he builds his church based on those three things that you're saying that he gives us? Hope of calling, riches of inheritance, surpassing power of his power. Everyone says his calling, his inheritance, his power. I'm just going to read a little bit of context into you. Ephesians 1.4, same page. He says this, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Let me read that for you. Just as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundations of the world. Jesus has handpicked every single one of us who are in the church, who are legitimate Christians. Jesus has drafted you. This is not a free agency thing where you sign, choose to sign on. God chose you to be in his church. Jesus is assembling his church. Jesus is building his church. He chose you. Yes, you have to agree. But God opened your heart so that you would choose to be in his church. It isn't by our own wisdom, our own upbringing, our own studies, our own intelligence. God providentially, sovereignly chose you to be in his church. We need to understand that. Let me go down one more verse. Verse 5. He predestined us to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. He predestined. Before you even a, a twinkle in your mama's eye, he chose you to be his son and daughter. You've been adopted. Remember, this is the riches of his inheritance. In order to have an inheritance... In these times, you're a son or daughter. You need to be a child of God. And all of us who are in the church, if you're legitimately part of his church, God adopted you. We have families in our church who've adopted. All right, praise God for these families. These families went over to an orphanage or different parts of the world and said, this is the one that we're adopting. The child did not say, could you adopt me? Parents came along and said, God put in their heart to adopt someone specific. This is the one we're adopting. Similar to how God works. God chose every single one of us and adopted us into his family. Predestined, the Bible says. Let me go jump down to verse 11 here. Also, we have obtained an inheritance because adopted children have an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things according, after the counsel of his will. Predestined again. Jesus builds his church. He calls his people. Jesus builds his church. He adopts his sons and daughters. Isn't that beautiful? It's about Jesus building his church. Let me read verse 13 for you out of Ephesians 1. It's talking about how we have this surpassing power. In him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, we believe, and then what did Jesus do to build his church? You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. What? Did you have anything to do with the Spirit of God living in you? No. This is how Christ builds his church. Jesus is the head of the church because he's actually the one building his church. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, this is what we're talking about. Christ Jesus is the head of the church. All these points are moving towards this idea. 
And having, the, having us understand this even more, that we have hope in his, in his calling, we're absolutely filthy rich in, his, in the heavenly inheritance that he has for us, and we have surpassing greatness of power living within us, does that not help you to live as a Christian? Does that not have you hope in the midst of your trials? Does that not set perspective in the, hope, in the things of prosperity you're going through right now? Ephesus had a lot of cool things going on for them. But in light of these things, you're like, whoa. These are, this is like trash compared to what I have for me in heaven. Gold, right, is an asphalt in heaven. The streets are lined with gold in heaven, the Bible says. And this is where God is making it clear to us that the world, even the best that the world has to offer, is going to seem like nothing compared to heaven and being with Christ. In Ephesus, there was the strong influence of the occult. I mean, this Artemis, uh, this Artemis was a great uh, pagan god that they worshipped. Massive people came to worship this idol. All right, massive. Diana is another name for this god. And there's a huge occult, satanic influence in Ephesus. Jesus was saying, hey, that's all good, but you got the power of God living in you, sealed with his Holy Spirit. Power, true power. So this is what we're talking about. We're talking about Christ, the head of the church, his calling, his inheritance, his power. Jesus builds his church. Point number two, why is Christ the head of the church? We talked about it. Christ builds his church. But point B, Christ is alive. Let's turn to uh, Ephesians uh, 1.19 now, second half of 1.19. How does... God give us his holy calling, his inheritance, his power. How does he do that? The Father does it like this. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Which type of might? Paul, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly place. The same power that resurrected Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God is the same power that gives us his calling, that gives us his inheritance, that gives us his power. Christ is the head of the church because he's alive. I want to read this thing. I want to read this uh, quote by John Stott, a, a, a theologian who's no longer living, but brilliant theologian, goes, the resurrection, John Stott writes, the resurrection and ascension were decisive demonstration of his divine power, God's power. Man is mortal. He cannot avoid death. We understand this. Man is fallen. He cannot overcome evil. We understand this. But God in Christ has conquered both and therefore can rescue us from both. Because Christ lives, all these things are promised to us. Christ is the key to everything. I want to read something from Peter, too. Let me just, let me just read something from Peter, uh, chapter 3, 1 Peter, chapter 3, um, chapter 1, one through, uh, 3 through 5. Chapter 1, 3 through 5. Okay? It's going to be up in, behind me for you guys, I believe. 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, right, how did he do it? Has caused us to be born again. Something also out of our control. Being born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Jesus Christ is the key. To obtain an inheritance, here's that, here's that word again, to an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. All right, the riches of his inheritance. Verse 5, who are protected, we are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Even Peter talks about this language. Peter and Paul must be listening to the same God. They're talking about the same thing. And the big idea here, my brothers and sisters, is this. Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to give you a little bit of sampling of what, a very brief overview of how Paul treats the first three chapters of Ephesus. I love the book of Ephesus. I love the book of Ephesus because it talks about how Christ is everything. Through Christ, we have everything. Let me, let me show you how he talks to the church of Ephesus. Paul writes to the Ephesians, says, In Christ, you are saints and holy. In Christ, you have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. In Christ. In Jesus Christ, you are adopted as sons and daughters. All right? In him, talking about Christ, you are holy and blameless. In him, you're redeemed and forgiven. In him, you know all the mysteries of God. In him, you have the inheritance. In him, you are chosen before the foundations of the world. In him, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. In him, you're saints. In Christ, you have everything. Can you see how Christ being alive is everything? He's the key to everything. In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. What does that mean? That means we're not lacking for anything. I had this encounter this past week. Um, I was at the Starbucks and studying some. And I don't know, every once in a while, this always happens to me. I don't know why I attract certain people, you know. Sometimes it's the Jehovah's Witness guys where I get to talk to. Sometimes the Mormon guy coming in twos, wearing their, their ties, you know. But this time it was a different guy. I mean, I'm just sitting there reading Ephesians and thinking, all right, I got to get, get lost in the wonder of Ephesians. I'm getting there, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. And all of a sudden, some, someone pulls up in, in the chair into my desk on my table. I'm like, what? Have you been there before? I don't know if you can relate to him. This guy just says, do you have any money for me? Right? And he didn't look like the typical homeless guy. You know what I mean? He looked, looked, you know, I mean, decent. I mean, compared to me, everyone's dressed pretty decent, but he's decent. <laughs> he looked normal in that way, and, he's, and he had this crazed look in his eye. And I mean, he was like right there, pretty close. All right? Can you, can you, can you feel this a little bit, right? And so... He goes, can I have some money? I said, you know, I don't have any money for you. I have money, but I didn't have any money for him, right? <laughs> I was being truthful for you, right? I don't say I don't have any money for you, right? That's part of how you should answer. I don't have any money for you, which is truthful, right? You, you have that set aside for other stuff. And <laughs> so he asked me, you know, can I have some money? And I'm like, you know, I don't. So I'm lost in the wonders of Ephesians as Paul is praying for the Ephesians to understand the riches the hope of his calling, the surpassing greatness of his power. And so is this theoretical for me? I'm learning his knowledge. This is good. I can't wait to tell this to their church. Or is this real to me? And I said, friend, I'm going to call him Joe. I, I know his real name, but I don't want to say it. I said, friend or Joe, I don't have money for you, but what I have is even greater. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. When you go on and talk about how he is a sinner who will be judged by Christ. Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? He goes, well, 
maybe. I said, all right, good, let's keep talking. Do you know that Christ, God, became a man and died, was, experienced God's wrath, and he died, but he is alive, just like the Bible says. He's alive, and now he's in heaven. He's coming back to judge his enemies. Do you want to know that you will be his friend? Can I have some money? I'm like, what? <laughs> That'll humble you. You think you're an evangelist or something, right? It's like, okay, I guess you don't get this. Well, I said, hey, just please consider what I'm saying. He goes, I got to go now. So, all right, just consider what, I'm, what, what, you, what I just told you. This is the most important thing. He left, and I prayed for him. Who knows? But what did we learn from this encounter and in the, more importantly in the scriptures is this. Christ builds his church. Rocky Seto does not build Christ's church. My job, your job, saints, is to deliver the goods. Preach the gospel. Give the good news and the Lord himself will awaken and adopt his people. He will send his Holy Spirit to seal salvation to those who are his. Doesn't that not take the edge off? I mean, you don't know how many times I've been rejected. I don't know if that was a rejection. We'll know in eternity someday, but you don't know how many. There's been many. My batting average is, I don't know, 10%. Maybe, maybe if I'm being generous to myself. But that just goes to show you it's not about us. You just got to be faithful, brothers and sisters. Believe that Christ builds his church on the message of Christ. That helps me a lot. Because if I felt like I was going to fail 90% of the time as the world would see it, I, I'd be paranoid. I don't, I don't know if I would want, to, I don't want that type of humbling. But if you know it's about God doing his work, why wouldn't you go for it every single time? As best you can. God knows your heart. He, you, he knows if you're earnestly trying to tell people about him. You know enough if you're a Christian. So that was a, that was a good thing for me. God was just showing me, hey, don't, this ain't just a mental exercise for you, Rocky. This is a sanctifying thing for you. This is real. Are your eyes being open to the hope of his calling, to the riches of his inheritance, to the surpassing greatness of his power that lives within me? Am I, do I, am I starting to understand that a little bit more? That was pretty neat. And I, I hope that, uh, we'll call him Joe, comes to know the Lord. Point number three, why Christ is the head of the church. We talked about Christ builds his church. Christ is alive. And point number C, Christ rules his church. You're going to love this here. Let's read uh, verse 21 through 22 here. His rule, his place is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and, and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things, not half things, not just spiritual things, everything, every created thing. He put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him Christ, talking about Christ as head over all things to the church. We read in Revelation 5, what's beautiful about Look This Christ series, it's very much tied together. I, I really appreciate how the music is in line with what we're preaching. I appreciate how Pastor Victor shepherding us through last week. Do you remember this? You know, and all this stuff. It's wonderful. Revelation 5 was a coronation of Christ. All right, remember he's being hailed, they're singing songs to him. 
And let's talk about his preeminence. Christ takes the deed, title deed of, of, of creation and says, Mine. I own this. And therefore, his name is above every name. Every Caesar to walk the earth. Every Pharaoh. Every king. Every king, queen. Every emperor. Every czar. Every president. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. Clearly, the Bible says from Revelation 5 to other places, and right here at Ephesians chapter 1, that Christ is above all things. Christ is the head of the church. Not the Pope. My, my Roman Catholic friends believe that the Pope has the ability to, uh, to rewrite stuff and to say his word is, is, is uh, infallible. Not the Pope. Not a denominational head. Not the senior pastor of a church. Not some board. But you may say, oh, Pastor Rocky, we know this. We know Christ is the head of the church. I mean, what's the big deal? Why do we have to spend the whole sermon talking about Christ as the head of the church? You may be thinking that right now. Well, let me, let me take out the popes and the czars. and I mean, that, we don't really relate to those sort of things. I get it. We're in America. We, we, we live in a democracy, right? We don't believe in kings and queens and those sort of things. But does tradition rule our church? Does secular wisdom rule our church? Principles of psychology, does that enter into our identities? Trying to explain and understand ourselves. Does pragmatism enter into our church? That's not going to work today in 2019, Pastor. That's too old school. That's 2,000 years ago. Does culture reign in our church? Oh, we're Asian American. We just can't help that. That's just how we are. What? Are you going to stand before Christ, the head of the church, the one riding the white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth with a flame of fire or his face is glowing like the sun and say, oh, I'm Asian. I, can't, I couldn't do that, Jesus. That's not going to happen. That's, not, that's going to be the furthest thing from your minds in that moment. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. Now, how does the head of the church actually rule? How does he rule in 2019? Okay, I see in heaven, like, wow, his power, his, his majesty is undeniable. We're going to be worshiping him. But how does he rule in San Gabriel Valley or in Ephesus 2,000 years ago or in San Gabriel Valley in 2019? How does he do that? Hear me very clearly. Christ, the head of the church, mediates his rule through the Bible. In no unclear terms. This is how Christ, the head of the church, rules his church. Through the Bible. This is why you hired me. All right? This is why you want me to study the text, uh, scriptures. This is why you want to raise up men, elders, who know the Bible, who obey the Bible, who have a conviction before the Lord to Obey the Bible. In effect, obeying Christ, the head of the church. Let me read 2 Timothy 3, 16 here. Turn with me if you can. So Timothy is the senior pastor of Ephesus. We're still in Ephesus here. We're still connected to Paul. We're still connected to Timothy. We're still connected to Ephesus right now. you got to love this here. This is a very famous verse that we've read here before in church from the pulpit. But I, I want to dig deeper into this thing. We love this. This is, it, it talks about the scriptures, the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16. Paul is about to be killed right now. 
This is the parting words to his faithful Timothy, to encourage him to be strong and courageous, to hang in there at Ephesus. When everyone's against him, Timothy, keep doing this. You might die like me and be arrested like me, but keep doing this, Timothy. It's worth it. All right? We've seen how John the Apostle, God encouraged him at the end as he saw Revelation open up before his eyes, and he knew it was worth it. Let me just read here. Follow along if you have your Bibles. All Scripture, talking about the Bibles, inspired by God. God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So this is a big truth about the Scriptures. You could take this to the bank. But the context will give them a little bit more light on this. Remember, Timothy, 2 Timothy is a pastoral letter written from Paul to Timothy telling him how to be a pastor. All right? So, so this is written to a personal note to Timothy, a pastor in Ephesus, so that the man of God, the man of God in a general sense could be any person that loves and follows God. But this is specifically talking about going back to the Old Testament. Man of God was someone who preached and proclaimed God's word. The preacher, the pastor. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped, armed for every good work. Timothy, you want to lead the church? Preach the Bible, the, God says. Learn what the Bible says so you'll be armed, equipped for every good work in the life of the church. The scriptures. Remember, Jesus comes down out of Revelation 19, opens his mouth. I don't think a sword comes out of his mouth, but he, by the word of his mouth, the enemies are destroyed. Remember, going back to Genesis, by the word of his mouth, light appears. Let there be light. Same creative power, same sustaining power, same destroying power is in the mouth of God. This is God's word here. Let's go down a few more verses. Uh, uh, chapter four, 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you, feel the weight of this now. Paul, the mentor, the pastoral father to Timothy, said, I solemnly charge you. I'm ordering you, Timothy. Do this. Not, I suggest, what do you think? I mean, if you're okay with it, we'll do No, I charge you, Timothy. I charge you, Rocky, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Feel the weight of that. In the presence of God, it's not a trivial matter here, and of Christ Jesus, who's this Christ, who's to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, what are you supposed to do, Timothy? What are you supposed to do, Pastor Rocky? Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Christ rules his church through the word of God. This is how it works. Church life. Church means called out ones or assembly. Ecclesia, the original language. This is why, just some examples, this is why we're moving towards eldership. Christ calls us to move to eldership through the scriptures. We're taking our time. We're teaching. We're, we're, we're waiting on the Lord. We're praying. We need to do the proper training. This takes time. But this is where we're headed because Christ, head of the church, said so. Hebrews 13, 17. I just want to kind of give you pastorally what's been going on in my heart. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. Obey your leaders. This kind of self-serving, doesn't it? Obey your leaders. But this is the part, and it says submit to them, but this is the part that grips my heart. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. I will be judged 
Are you sure you want to be an elder? You will be judged if you're an elder how you are faithful in, in shepherding the souls of every Christian in this church. What? Before Christ Jesus, who's going to be uh, judging the living and the dead. What? I mean, this, this reading stuff like this, text like this, it just takes me to another place. I mean, I've been just so you know, I've been studying things like uh, such as church discipline. Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, Titus, Timothy, Thessalonians. Church discipline. How do we purify the church? If I'm used by God somehow, by God's grace, to present Jesus' wife to him someday, what, what, the, what kind of wife does Jesus want? Spotless and blameless by the washing of the word, the Bible says in Ephesians 4. Like I said, we're talking about the body and the, he- the body and the head analogy. Like I said, it's an athlete. That makes sense to me. As a coach, it makes sense to me. Christ, here's your body. Do, you want, do we want to present a scrawny, skinny, sickly body to Christ? This beautiful head. Out of shape. Frail. Or do you want to present a body to Christ that's trained, equipped, athletic, flexible, Beautiful. That's what we want. That's what the church is called to do. Holiness. This is called sanctification. This is my job. This is our hope in, in, as we pursue this. To how can we become more sanctified, more like Christ? We'll get into church discipline some more later. But these are the things that God calls us. How do we help people get holy? Church discipline. What? Matthew 18. Read that sometime on your own. That's not our church. We've never done that. That's, we're Asian. We don't like put our, do that to one another. We don't like talk to each other by, hey, I saw you doing this, brother. Could you explain to me what's going on? Oh, my bad. You're right. You just won over a brother. If it escalates, tell it to the church. What? We do that? Do I know the church better than Christ? No. Did I build the church? No. Jesus built the church. Do I love the church? No. I never died for the church. Christ died for the church. Jesus loves the church more than anyone. How about in our home life? How to still the church? You're a Christian. The church is not this building. The church is wherever you're at at home. How does Christ charge you to live? If you're married, husbands and wives, there's order. If you have children, children submit, obey to your parents. There's order. How about work life, business life? It's a slave, be obedient to your masters. Servants, submit to your, to, to your boss. If you're a boss, be good to your, uh, your servants. That's how that works. In civic life, Peter talks about submit to your governing authorities. All right? This is what we're talking about here. Christ absolutely rules his church corporately, in home life, private life, business life, civic life. Christ rules everywhere. That's what it means when Christ is the head of the church. Christ built his church. Christ lives because he died and resurrected for his church. He purchased the church. He owns the church. Christ rules his church. Christ is the head of the church. Now verse 23 is coming a little bit of a preview. Sorry, Ephesians again. Uh, um, for next week. Verse 23 says this, 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the body of Christ. We'll talk more about that next week. It's going to be glorious. But we, we, before we talk about the body, we have to talk about the head. We have to know where our identities are in Christ. Lock solid in Christ, in him, in the beloved, in Christ, in Jesus Christ, in the Son of God. This is the language that uh, Paul uses. I love it. Going back to the analogy of the chicken with his head cut off. He runs around aimlessly. He runs around aimlessly and gets nothing done. Back and forth, zigzags, back and forth. What eventually happens to that chicken? He dies. So if we're a church or assembly or called out ones not connected to the head, we could do a lot of cool stuff in the world's eyes, even in your eyes, culturally and emotionally. But if you're not connected to the head, we die. It's over. Game over. You're really never in Christ. But if we're in Christ, we love the head. We love Christ, the head of the church. We love him. We think about him all the time. He is our identity. This is who we are. This is how I identify my, the head. It gives me my identity, my purpose, my passion, my power, my energy, my convictions. Last thing I wanted to say before we pray and take communion. We don't want to be like that chicken with his head cut off. We're not. We're not like that. But remember, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Your heart right now will be enlightened so that you will know these things. All of us could grow more in the knowledge of Christ. All of us. All of us. If you're not in Christ, you need to become a Christian. You need to become part of the head, connected to the head. I desire for our church family, and it's not my desire. I desire because God desires. He calls Timothy to be strong. He caused Joshua to be strong and courageous. Remember those things that we read about church conference? How are you to become a strong and courageous person? Is it because you got education? Is it because you got money? Is it because you got looks? Is you got physical uh, ability? Those things aren't it. Strength and courage are grounded in convictions. As I look out here and I, I see a wonderful body of Christ, loving people, dear people. I see leaders out there who are going to be strong and courageous in the church and in the home and in the communities. I see them out there. But in order for you to be a strong and courageous leader, you need to have convictions. Convictions that are grounded in birth and truth. Truth that's grounded in the word of God. Truth that tells you who about Christ is. That's why we're spending so much time. So that you have this conviction that Christ, I know who you say you are. Now I've seen it truly in the scriptures with my own eyes. This is who you are, Lord Jesus. That type of conviction births strength and strong and courageous people, men and women. This is what we're looking to build up. Study, get buried into that word. So when that guy comes to you in the middle of Starbucks, you're just like on fire and say, all right, let me tell you about something. Isn't God good? He let him come to me when I wasn't weak because I was filled up with this word, right? I mean, that's how it works. God is so good and so gracious. I have my weak moments too. Let's pray. Father, you are the gracious Father, Jesus, we love you. You are the head of the church. 
Father, I pray our identities will be grounded in you, Lord Jesus, and we'll remember this whole crescendo in him, in Christ, in the beloved, in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. We have every spiritual blessing. We are adopted. We have the heavenly inheritance. We have every spiritual blessing. We have been adopted as sons and daughters. We have the Holy in him. We have the Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit sealing our salvation. I pray, Lord, that these things will form and crystallize our identities in you, Lord Jesus. Not our looks, not our education, not our income, not our families, not our homes, not our sins, not our shame. None of these things, but Christ Jesus, you are the one who who is our head. Therefore, you are our identity. So thank you, Father, for this time. May we come, take communion with holy hearts before you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.